Welcome to Leonard Lopate at Large. I'm Leonard Lopate. There were good reasons they were called the Roaring Twenties, especially in Manhattan, where gamblers and gangsters, crooks and cops, showgirls, bootleggers, and speakeasies ruled the days and nights. Historian David Pietruzza takes us back to those times in his latest book, Gangsterland, a tour through the dark heart of jazz-age New York City. It's published by Diversion Books and brings David Pietruzza to our show now. Welcome. Good to be talking to you again. Doesn't every decade have its share of scandals? Were the 20s unique in some ways? Oh, oh no. <laughs> I mean, just look at... Uh, pick up the paper or look mm. at your computer screen right now and you'll see all sorts of craziness and foolishness. Uh, but uh, but they we had don't a, have prohibition. Uh, they, they, they had prohibition and they, they had a wonderful soundtrack of the, of the music mm. and the shows and the, and the culture. And, and it was, it's different. It's, it's unique because of, of the prohibition angle to it. And it's, we're learning or they were learning uh, to become modern. I mean, we were sneaking into it in the teens. I mean, the, these guys, these guys don't just start to happen on uh, New Year's Eve on 1920, but they they've been applying their craft in in the uh, in the decade previously. And as as smaller time people, hoodlums, and but they are going to get a big infusion of cash and influence in the 1920s. Well, prohibition became started in 1920. So right. were the bootleggers uh, and the speakeasies already in place by the time it uh, January 1st occurred? Well, you raise an interesting question because actually prohibition started before prohibition <laughs> it it started it started in in a couple ways it started on state and federal level so you you had the more uh, shall we say podunky states like kansas or in the south as opposed to the more sophisticated states like new york uh you know opting for pro prohibition before that i mean it doesn't become a constitutional amendment because it, it didn't have any support beforehand but also there was a thing called wartime prohibition mm. in the United States. And that was to provide grain for the people overseas, uh, our allies or for soldiers. And it was considered that uh, uh, the use of grain for manufacturing booze, distilling booze or beer uh, was wasteful and unpatriotic. And speaking of patriotic, Take a look at who was running the uh, breweries at that time, largely German-American suspect guys <laughs> at that point in New York City, guys like Jake Rupert or the Eric Brewery up around uh, Yorkville and uh, Spanish Harlem. And Rupert, of course, uh, becomes uh, an institution way past all of this. Um, you've devoted 12 pages to your cast of characters. Some of the names on the list are familiar to me, but quite a few aren't. Were they all famous in the 20s? Uh, not all famous. And, and you know, some of those people had, you know, your five minutes of fame when they're like dead and, mm -hmm. and, and assuming room temperature. Uh, but their stories are, are, are worth telling. 
And and of course, because, you know, time passes on and their fame passes on. So um, what authors know in writing a book is not necessarily what readers know or the general public knows. So uh, you want to make it easier for for the readers. And and I've done that in pre my previous historical books, like the presidential histories. And, and people tend to find that very, very useful. And, even, and it's it's also it's a good trick for me as I'm as I'm doing the book as a whole to start listing those those guys and gals. Well, a relevant previous book was one you wrote about Arnold Rothstein, who was it, uh, it, a gambler and a mob kingpin uh, that you that was published 20 years ago. Um, yes. Uh, have you learned more about him in the 20 years since you published that book? Well, yeah. Um, the, I guess, <laughs> I guess part of that shows up in this book and this book is, is sort of a belated spinoff or, or sequel to mm. the book. And it started innocently enough through the, um, um, beneficence of New York city radio. When a fellow I knew who was doing a show from the, uh, Russian Tea Room, where that was the sponsor of it, said, hey, could you talk about Arnold Rothstein's Times Square? Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, I can, because shortly after doing the Rothstein book, I was engaged to do a physical walking tour of Arnold Rothstein's Times Square and and did that and remarkably uh, still had my notes and even more remarkably still could find them and then i thought well maybe i could do a little pamphlet or something on this book uh or on this topic and just like with the rothstein book um once you started poking around you found just a lot of stuff Wow. And and so much so that I not only did I do Times Square in this book, but the entire Upper West Side, which I was surprised to see how mobbed up it was because, uh, you know, sort of convenient to Times Square and and the Broadway area. You just shoot down on the subway. Well, you describe Rossine as New York's very, very, very bad and wealthy monarch, a high state gambler, loan shark, pool shark, casino and racetrack impresario, bookmaker, thief. Fence of millions in stolen jewels and bonds, perjurer and suborner of, of perjury, political fixer, Wall Street swindler, real estate speculator, labor racketeer, and rum runner, runner and the mastermind of the modern American drug traffic. Um, that's that a, might cover it. That's a lot. That's how, a lot. And how, how, how was he able to do all of that for as long as he did it? Uh, that's a wonderful question. And, uh, one of the things I do in, in, in compiling my various books is to create a chronology mm. of, of, of events. And you take a look at the chronology of Arnold Rothstein and it just blows your mind. How many nefarious things he has going on at any given point in time. And these things would cause my blood pressure to you know explode just one of them and for him to just uh, do this I, as uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald wrote about the Arnold Rothstein-esque mm. 
character in the great Gatsby, Meyer Wolfshine, you know, he fixes the world series with the confidence of a, of a safe cracker blowing uh, and calmness of a safe cracker blowing a safe. And, and that's the, that's the thing we are dealing with, not just some hoodlum or ordinary criminal or wall street uh, um, cheater and, and manipulator, but you're you're dealing with a a character who is like oh Professor Moriarty out of Sherlock Holmes or a James Bond villain. This this guy is is bigger than fiction. He's best remembered for bankrolling the 1919 World Series fix that's been labeled the Black Sox scandal. But that's interesting because he's very New York, and obviously the White Sox were in Chicago. Yeah, uh, well, that's a that is a wide ranging scandal. It's a it's a national scandal. Uh, you've got the White Sox in Chicago, the players there, and the scandal seems to originate actually in the Middle West with gamblers in St. Louis and in wholesome Iowa. There's a ring of gamblers in in Des Moines who are involved very early on. Well, There's Des Moines a gambler... is a terrible thing to waste. That's why. <laughs> yes. Um, but you know, uh, you know, gambling is is so prevalent in American society, uh, going back all the way to America, I guess. And and you've got those riverboat gamblers. So you see. Uh, the people along the uh, Mississippi River being involved in the, in the gambling casino, floating casinos, really, at, in the riverboats. Well, and yeah. and in, in uh, a gambler out of Boston named Sport Sullivan, there are meetings, or there's a famous meeting uh, where the, the fix is, is uh, plotted, and then it moves to New York, and it moves to New York really because... To do this, you've got to bring a bunch. It's not like fixing a prize fight. It's like you need one. You need a boxer and the trainer. You know, there's a limited number of people who can do that and just take take the take the fall, hit the canvas, and bang, it's over. But in fixing a World Series, hmm. and I'm not going to say a seven-game World Series because that year, after World War One, they were trying to make up for lost revenue and they moved it to a nine game mm. World Series. So eventually they needed, uh, depending on how you count it, eight men to fix it, eight men out. And um, the, you have to put up the money to do that. And then you need money to bet on the on the uh, scandal, on the fix to make it worthwhile, because you don't, you're not doing it just as some academic influence and about the only guy with the money and the nerve to do it is Arnold Rothstein in in middle old New York. But he was shot and killed for by one account having run up too many unpaid debts. Now considering all of the money he must have made, how would that be possible? You include the Whalen report. Yes. Yes. The Whalen report is I found that a copy of that in the uh, files of the New York Public Library. They sent they they sent me a copy of it, and I, no one had ever seemed to look at it. Grover Whalen, 
was best known as the uh, greeter of New York City, where he was, you know, if you if you were a big celebrity, he'd go out to the docks for the mayor and, and give you a hearty hello. And then they'd have a ticker tape parade. But he was also New York City police commissioner hmm. so that when Arnold Rothstein is shot and killed at the Park Central Hotel in November 1928, uh, there's a lot of questions as to not only who done it, uh, but what the police were up to or not up to in not solving the case or in apprehending uh, the prime suspect and the guy who was eventually uh, indicted, a guy named George McManus, George Hump McManus. And so uh, with the uh, Whalen report, um, we have that in the book for, for people to peruse. And there are a lot of clues to uh, the incompetence or uh, nefariousness of the New York City Police Department in there. But to your your question, your actual question about why Rothstein doesn't pay. First off, Rothstein knows that you want to collect your debts early, but you want to pay your debts slowly. <laughs> There's an expression, a slow pay. Uh -huh. And particularly when Arnold Rothstein is the big bankroll and he can lend money out to gamblers and underworld figures at very high interest rates. Um, you want to hang on to your money and, and maybe put it to use lending it to other money. But Lady Luck don't shine on everybody forever. And while Arnold Rothstein is very good at winning, say, $300,000 at a horse race in 1921 or 1922, um, sometimes, you, sometimes you win, sometimes you got to lose. And 1928 becomes a very bad year for Rothstein. One, his his marriage falls apart finally thanks to his infidelities and his own his own personality his own shortcomings as a as a husband aside from uh, uh his bedroom antics um but also he is investing heavily in the international drug trade so he has a lot of money tied up he has a lot of money uh tied up in creating a phony baloney housing projects in Queens, which is then going to be sold to the city at a substantial profit because he's very connected to Tammany Hall, mm. which is running New York City at that point. And he just starts to lose. He starts to lose the big money uh, stakes at, at the track. And in September 1928, he's involved in what is really a sort of World Series of Poker where the, the big boys, the all-stars, all come into the city. Uh, they are at the Congress Apartments uh, in the West 50s. They play for several nights, and he walks away rather sullenly, owing $300,000, and highly suspicious, and probably rightly suspicious, that the cheater has been cheated. And he determines not to pay, and he is eventually called in to discuss that debt at the Park Central Hotel, a, a very near to Carnegie Hall on 7th Avenue uh, by this George McManus fellow and is shot uh, and dies at the polyclinic or hospital uh, nearby uh, a couple days later without ever naming 
uh, his assailant. My guest on today's Leonard Lopate at Large is David Pietrusha. His latest book, Gangsterland, a tour through uh, the dark heart of Jazz Age New York City, published by Diversion Books. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. Another locale that is prominent in the story is the Knickerbocker Hotel on 42nd Street and Broadway, which was also one of Rothstein's hangouts. Um, he uh, used it as a venue for his high-stakes floating card and crap games, and that's where his uh, lawyer kept his office. It was also, um, the hotel's dining room was also captained by um, a future restaurateur named Vincent Sardi. Right. There's a, there's a great story about Sardi's in the book. You know, talk about the stuff one, one stumbles into. Um, he had a, uh, a Vincent Sardi had a hat check girl, which is like, well, so mm-hmm. what? Uh, but this hat check girl had previously worked at one of Texas Guinan's uh, speakeasies. Texas Guinan was maybe the most famous speakeasy uh, operator of the 1920s. And um, this uh, hat check girl named Renee Carroll had run into Arnold Rothstein there, had been sort of like propositioned by him and, and, and resisted his charms. But then she went over to Sardi's, which was just starting uh, business in the 1920s. We should point out and that Texas Guinan is a woman. Texas Guinan is a woman and not only a speakeasy operator, but a former star mm. of kind of low She'd budget westerns mm. early silent westerns she had been a, a, a showbiz vaudeville entertainer went into the the movies and then came out um instead of uh rootin tootin uh rustlers and such like that uh but really rootin tootin suckers her um um cat tagline was, uh, you know, somebody would come into her speakeasy and be, hello, suckers. And mm. they would just love being abused uh, and overcharged by her uh, and and her uh, her operations. But so Guinan, uh, oh, Guinan also, there's a great story about when she, when she finally uh, dies, and she dies sort of uh, young and in the early 30s. And she's buried out of, I think, uh, Campbell's funeral home on the west side. And she says, uh, I, uh, I want an open casket because I don't I don't want to charge the suckers a, a cover charge even now. <laughs> and uh, so that's I mean, they're pretty wild uh, times. They had a sense of humor, certainly when they weren't <laughs> shooting you. Um, but back to Renee Carroll at Sardi's and and. She was no, uh, shall we say, gum-chewing Corrine, but was a pretty smart cookie. So smart that when Broadway producers, film producers, actors had a script and a property to look at, they would give it to her to examine, to peruse, to critique. Hmm. And over the uh, course of time, she did this 5,000 times. Wow. And wrote her memoirs about this, and had a had a, 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 a either a show on the radio or a Broadway column or a, a newspaper column about this. 
so really a, a remarkable person and, and tells you, um, you know, what an interesting uh, history Sardis has, uh, aside from all the pictures on the wall of some of the people in this book. Another person at the Knickerbocker was F. Scott Fitzgerald, who uh, is in and out of the stories here. Yes, he uh, he writes that um, the great Gatsby uh, has the character Meyer Wolfsheim in it, and mm. and Wolfsheim is sort of a um, sort of an anti-Semitic caricature of of, of Rothstein. He's a very very crude sort of fellow, speaking of broken English. Rothstein is not a Lower East Side guy. He is not. He may be the child of, of immigrants, but his father is a very respectable cotton merchant. He is. He is no dummy. He's, he's a. He's a school dropout, but not from from a lack of intellectual rigor, but from just attitude. And he find he finds gambling a lot more more interesting, and he finds teachers very dull. Um, but. With Rothstein, he is uh, um, in The Great Gatsby, and and they dis- specifically discuss that 1919 World Series. There's uh, just some great great quotes in there about there about Rothstein there. And when you mentioned that Rothstein had used the Knickerbocker as a as a site for some of his floating crap games, we think about another author. And we think about another literary uh, adventure called Guys and Dolls. Mm. Guys and Dolls, based on the story of a uh, newspaper columnist, Damon Runyon, short story author. And the character of uh, Nathan Detroit, played by Frank Sinatra in the movie, and the great Sam Levine on, on, on the Broadway stage, is based roughly on uh arnold rothstein and sky masterson marlon brando in the uh a movie is based on a guy named titanic thompson who is another legendary gambler not only a great card player uh but he could he could take you to the cleaners uh, on any golf course in america uh a very very talented guy uh his name was titanic thompson for you, who I only learned about in your book. Yeah, yeah. They, there's been a there's a been a recent biography of him, and I think that that uh, biography has been optioned. As so many books have been optioned for for motion pictures over the years, so you might see something. You might be seeing him on the silver screen at some point. Now you list a hundred and eighty nine criminal sites in Manhattan. What about the rest of the boroughs? Uh, was Manhattan pretty much the center of it all? Well, yeah, um, but not exclusively. Um, the The Broadway area has so many. Um, when I say when you say I list them, I mean those are the numbered lists. But within some of those listings, I may reference a newspaper article Mm. which lists 30 speakeasies that were raided Mm. over a a given um weekend by by the feds or by the uh, by the local authorities well we tend to we tend to believe that that the that the locals weren't raiding these operations but but sometimes sometimes they were and also that the uh 
the speakeasies, you'll see multiple speakeasies at very at the same location. So one operation closes down, there's a raid, and then somebody else opens up again in, in the same building on the same floor. Uh, but yeah, Manhattan is, you know, it's like, um, you know, when Willie Sutton, the famous bank robber, was asked why he robbed banks, he says, well, that's where the money is. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's where the money was and where all the high rollers were. Uh, and I guess still are in, in New York City. So Manhattan is where the action is. And also in those neighborhoods where the action uh, is or was. And some of those sites uh, include Rothstein's Gambling House on West 46th Street, Polly Adler's Brothel on West 54th Street, also the Park Crescent Hotel on West 87th Street where a 1929 drug bust indebted more than a million dollars in cocaine and opium? Yeah, we, we see a, a series of raids um, involving Rothstein's associates, either largely after his death, when authorities start seizing his, his private papers and following the, the, the clues, but also prior to, uh, to that, where one of his, it's difficult to say whether he has friends, uh, but he, everyone seems to say that a real friend of his was a guy named Sidney Stager, who was a, uh, uh, an, uh, a, a narcotics addict and who Rothstein would send abroad on these, on these drug deals, often with a guy named George Uffner. Uffner continues in operation for, for decades uh, and and they are they are both. Uh, he was a smuggler. Uh, he was a smuggler. They were they were both smugglers. Sailor, and, um, sta Stager, and and Uffner. Yes, they were. Uh, Uffner also has a uh, connection to uh, one of the many showgirls and actresses of the time. You know, we see we see certain themes in pre-code cinema over and over again certain plot points and we think well they're just you know this is just a thing of fiction and the stage and all this but but in real life uh and in looking at this book you see certain things really are ubiquitous with a capital u uh and and one of them is jewel robberies and the other one is uh the showgirl uh, gold diggers, um, mistresses of rich uh, society people or of gangsters. And so he has uh, just George Ufner has has a, a showgirl, a girlfriend who won a contest when she blows into New York City whether they were like the most talented or beautiful girl and thousands enter from the it was sponsored by the Daily News. And she gets a uh, role right off the uh, bat in a movie produced by Paramount, a sort of morality tale, ironically, uh, which hmm. is produced uh, another side story in New York City, because not only was all these things happening in the city. And that's that's another point of the book is how these worlds collide or intersect. Well, should, so should City Hall and Tammany Hall be included in the list of criminal sites? Yeah, 
Yeah. Of course, Tammany Hall is downtown off of uh, Union Square. Uh, and before that, it was on 14th Street. But then you get all the various clubhouses of 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 Tammany and the political clubhouses, physical clubhouses were often fronts for illegal gambling. And one of the things that Arnold Rothstein uh, comes up with uh, in conjunction with one of the more shadier lawyers of the era was that if you had a place which was raided unsuccessfully by the police and they didn't find anything, oh, maybe because they were tipped off, that they couldn't be raided again for a year. How convenient. <laughs> and a number of these places were Democratic uh, uh, Tammany clubhouses, not only in uh, Manhattan, but in, well, in, in Brooklyn, Democratic clubhouses, because Tammany actually was only in Manhattan, not in, there was a, another organization in Brooklyn. You're listening to Leonard Lopate at Large and WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. conversation with David Pietrusha. If you sign up to become a member of WBAI during today's show with a contribution of $50 or more, you can receive a free copy of his book, Gangsterland, a tour through the dark heart of Jazz Age, New York City. Um, to do that, just go online to give to WBAI.org or call 212-209-2950 during today's show, and we'll be happy to send you a copy. That's Give and the number two WBAI dot org or two one two two oh nine twenty nine fifty. but don't forget to make that fifty dollar or more donation in the name of Leonard Lopate at Large and we thank you very much and return now to David Pietrusha. Uh, am I pronouncing your name correctly? Yes, yes. And it's not an easy task. P I E T R U S Z A Right. The book, Gangsterland, A Tour Through the Dark Heart of Jazz Age New York City from Diversion Books. You don't mention the Harlem Renaissance because that was a positive thing? Well, no. And also it was outside the geographic scope hmm. of the book. Um, and But, I mean, the, in terms of the, well, the scope of the book geographically and, and uh, in terms of, of the rackets, but the Harlem racket is the, the great Harlem racket invention, I guess, is the numbers, mm -hmm. the numbers racket. And that was uh, already a big thing at this time? At the, yes, yes. And you see um, a guy like uh, Dutch Schultz out of the Bronx. Yes, there was crime outside of Manhattan. Mm. Um out of the Bronx, where uh, he started out as as a as a bootlegger, uh, but then he moves into the numbers racket when you know he just sees there's a lot of money in that, and also uh, there's also a lot a, a lot of competition in the bootlegging racket, but um, 
uh, he moves in and and for people who don't know what the numbers were um it, it was based on the handle at various race tracks and it was a three number combination and if you bet on a number straight in other words to come out in that order you'd get about six hundred dollars uh for every dollar you bet except you you, you really the people who were betting the numbers weren't betting dollars uh hell my own family okay you'd bet a quarter on on the on on, on a straight hit and then you'd bet a dime maybe on a box where any number where any where the three numbers had to come in in any order and you'd get you'd get a layer leather a smaller payoff now who else moves into the numbers racket but good old good old reliable not nathan detroit mm. uh but good old reliable tammany hall mm. and one of the protectors of dutch schultz and the uh numbers racket is the boss the tammany boss of west harlem a guy named jimmy hines and Heinz was also a protector of drum roll, please, George Hump McManus, the guy who was indicted for and eventually acquitted of. But I would say, yeah, he did it, uh, killing none other but Arnold Rothstein <laughs> at that Park Central Hotel. Now, among the other Tammany, well, I'm going to list some of your characters. You, uh, you mentioned Tammany Hall. We have. Uh, well, Mayor Gentleman Jimmy Walker, uh, Big Tim Sullivan, and then also in the book, you have con artist Nicky Arnstein and dapper Don Collins, a crooked cop named Lieutenant Charles Becker, um, uh, also murderous racketeers like Lucky Luciano and Legs Diamond, the featherweight boxing championship Abe Attell, show business legends like you mentioned Texas Guanin, but also George Raft, Jimmy Durante, uh, W.C. Fields, Flo Siegfield, George M. Cohan, Fanny, Fanny Bryce, who was, uh, of course, the funny girl of Siegfield Follies. Um, uh, well, Babe Ruth, Damon Runyon, William Randolph Hearst. It's an incredible list of, of people. Cover- was there much interaction between them? Yeah, well, you get the 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 interaction is, um, say politics and sports and uh, Broadway, um, and the speakeasies, the the racketeering, of labor racketeering. Um, it it Rothstein Arnold Rothstein is is the real hub of all that. But they 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 interact on almost like a on a regular basis. You know, there's no people like show people and 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 they tend to hang out in Broadway where all the bright lights are. Um, Rothstein, for example, is connected to the sporting world. Uh, and I don't mean sporting in terms of prostitution or anything like that or gambling. Well, you, we, of course, sports you, world, yeah. the sports world, in connected like to John McGraw, the manager of the wow. New York Giants. What about who, Babe Ruth? Was he uh, okay? Well, Ruth is Ruth is is a habitue, say, shall we say, of 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 the various enterprises like uh, speakeasies and such. 
we don't we don't we don't get into Ruth too much in the book, but but he's we we do reference where he's he's living in the same building as as say William Randolph Hearst, who is wow. involved in publishing, and one of those guys who has the the showgirl mistresses, etc. Uh, etc. Et uh, Rothstein may also have brokered the deal uh, to purchase the New York Giants baseball club around 1917. The purchaser being Charles Stoneham, father of Horace Stoneham, who, who moved the Giants out in 1957-58. But you see where Rothstein is connected to sports with Stoneham, but Stoneham is also connected to uh, Wall Street because he's a, a bucket shop operator, which is a term for a, a crooked Wall Street uh, brokerage firm. And then Stoneham has a girlfriend who is involved in one, um, a badger game operation at the Ansonia Hotel, hmm. where I think Babe Ruth lived, come to think of it, and <laughs> Rothstein lived. And where the World Series was was uh, fixed was plotted in 1919. She was involved in that. Her name was Buddha Godman. And then we fast forward where she's operating in the early 30s and is involved in a massive like $305,000 jewel robbery and fencing the jewels. So you see that the hip bone is connected to the thigh bone like crazy in this book. Well, I mentioned some of the politicians, uh, uh, Mayor Gentleman Jimmy Walker, Big Tim Sullivan, did they set the tone? Well, um, Big Tim Sullivan certainly sets the tone early on because Sullivan, who is the Tammany boss of the Lower East Side, but because there's so many votes down there. I mean, the Lower East Side back then is the most densely populated area on the face of the earth. People are really crammed into those tenements. And, and people were being moved into the, the, you know, coming from Europe in boat, boatloads. In boatloads. And they vote. And Tim, and they all vote for whoever Tim Sullivan tells them to vote for. But he he is the patron. Uh, he's a fascinating guy because he's not only a politician, he's the partner in a vaudeville circuit on the west coast of, of all things uh and he is the patron of guys like arnold rothstein and also another a guy running a gambling house in the west 40s called beansy rosenthal beansy rosenthal gets tired of paying protection because after all he's a favorite of big tim sullivan to this cop you mentioned lieutenant charles becker of the nypd and he goes to the New York, he goes to the district attorney of Manhattan, a guy named Charles Whitman. And he also goes to the New York World, uh, then a major newspaper uh, with a reporter on its staff, a guy named ha- uh, Herbert Byard Swope, who, oh, gee whiz, he was Arnold Rothstein's best man. But he likes a good story and they're going to print the story of the shakedown by Becker. And then at the one night in July 1912, 
Rosenthal is uh, dining alone or sipping ginger ale alone at the Hotel Metropole on West 43rd Street. He steps out onto the sidewalk and there's the first drive by shooting in American history. And it's orchestrated by Lieutenant Becker and by Big Tim Sullivan, according to Mr. Becker, Lieutenant Becker. And there's another first in this case in that Becker is this first New York City uh, cop to be uh, fried in the electric chair chair for his crimes and probably the last. And, uh, oh, Jimmy Walker. Well, Jimmy Walker was just uh, the almost the original Good Time Charlie, mm-hmm. uh, a colorful guy um, who lived high on the hog and didn't particularly care who knew it because and, the, t- and the public mayor. didn't care either. But he was elected mayor. How did that happen? He was elected mayor. Well, he was elected mayor because um, the previous mayor was the protege of William or, you know, was uh, maybe the puppet Hmm. of William Randolph Hearst, a guy named Red Mike Highland. He came out of Brooklyn and he wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer and he wasn't a Tammany knife in the drawer either. So Tammany wanted their own guy in in City Hall, and they primaried Highland in 1925. And Walker, who was a charming guy, and again, the nexus between um, certain aspects of New York City, he's politics. He was also a songwriter. He wrote a hit song called Will You Still Love Me uh, in... uh, in uh, November, as you do in May, mm-hmm. if you remember the Bob Hope movie, which starred uh, Bob Hope uh, uh, called Bo James about gentleman Jimmy Walker. And also he was known as the as the legislator who brought S- New York City uh, Sunday baseball into New York City up until that time around the late night until the teens. Uh, you couldn't play Sunday baseball or sports in, in New York City. And so he was he was connected with with all those different things. And then all the showgirls, he had a he had a very uh, open relationship with a uh, Betty Compton. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when Walker had to flee uh, the city and criminal charges in the early 30s, uh, he fled to Europe, not with his wife, but with his showgirl mistress. Hmm. My guest on today's Leonard Lopit at Large is David Pietrusha. His latest book, Gangsterland, a tour through the dark heart of jazz age New York City from Diversion Books. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. Weren't there a number of so-called democratic clubs that had little to do with politics? Well, the ones that had to do with uh, with gambling and as, as fronts for uh, illegal booze and, and all these other things. The uh, uh, it's very interesting to see how Tammany worked, and it was a, a bit of a uh impromptu welfare system where you would go to your ward leader uh, or your assembly leader uh district leader and 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 get as much help for 
getting a job or getting your street plowed or getting a turkey at Thanksgiving. Jimmy Hines, um, the, that West Harlem boss, he would throw a party, I think, at St. Patrick's Day for his constituents um, yearly, I think. And, and it would be in Central Park and something like 20,000 people would show up. And you would see the listings of how many kegs of beer or ice cream, gallons of ice cream or hot dogs would be given out. Um, but unfortunately, uh, all this largesse uh, had some overhead. Uh, Hines was eventually convicted and sent to prison by a guy named uh, Thomas E. Dewey, uh -huh. who was the great, you know, uh, Mr. District Attorney and gangbuster of the of the 1930s until, you know, until he starts running for president. The Thomas E. Dewey story is 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 quite remarkable. And he's, he's quite an admirable uh, uh, figure. Was Damon Runyon writing about all of this? Damon Runyon is writing about all of these characters in uh in, in this Broadway Demi world, um, you see uh, when Arnold Rothstein gets a phone call to come to the Park Central Hotel in November 1928 from George McManus to talk about that debt, uh, that um, Damon Runyon is, is at Lindy's. Lindy's was a big Arnold Rothstein and Broadway hangout back then. Uh, Lindy's being a, a restaurant delicatessen on on broadway in the in the 40s back then i guess there's a there's a version of it still uh on broadway near that location but it's not the same place um and so he's writing about that and when when rothstein dies he he pens a very lengthy uh essentially obituary mm. and portrait of of his uh shall we say, uh, pal Arnold Rothstein, although I, I don't think he would have considered himself to be a, be a pal. Uh, we talk about the uh, Arnold Rothstein or the Damon Runyon stories, you know, being condensed into Guys and Dolls, and certainly I recommend the movie to, to anyone. But also another great Damon Runyon movie to watch around is one made around 1934 by Frank Capra called Lady for a Day. And it, it recreates that world as well. And it stars a, a, a famous pre-code actor named Warren William. And it's uh, go see it when it's on TCM. You mentioned earlier that Arnold Rossine was killed. And you write, few of the characters we meet here end well. Fewer deserve to. Yeah, they're not they're not they're great killing people. each other. They're killing each other. <laughs> they're killing each other. I mean, Rothstein gets killed. Dutch Schultz gets killed. He gets. Oh, Dutch. Why does Dutch Schultz get killed? Because Thomas E. Dewey, Mr. District Attorney, is, you know, putting the heat on the mob in a very serious way for about the first time in the mid 1930s. And making life for uncomfortable for, for guys like Schultz and Luciano and Meyer Lansky, et cetera, et cetera. And they meet, what are we going to do about it? And Schultz says, I say we kill him. Mm -hmm. And they go, you can't kill a prosecutor. We don't, it's, that's trouble. That's compounding things. That's crazy talk. 
And he's like, I'm going to do it anyway. I don't care what you say. And so they they kill uh, Dutch Schultz, uh, Legs Diamond, uh, who is a mm-hmm. an associate and a henchman and a bodyguard for Arnold Rothstein at, at uh, some point. I'm located up uh, upstate near Albany, and he was killed uh, in a sort of cheap rooming house on Dove Street in Albany in a house which just was resold um, by the author, Pulitzer Prize winning novelist William Kennedy. Kennedy uh, did a book called Legs, and with some of the proceeds from that, he, he bought the house where Legs Diamond was killed um but i mean it's it's one guy after another who who is who are rubbed out um larry fay the big um the big speakeasy owner um uh, fay was involved in a number of rackets one he was a bootlegger he owned this fleet of taxi cabs and he would send them up to montreal to bring back cases of 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 hard liquor to be sold during prohibition Fun fact, Larry Fay was a big fan of, before it got to have different connotations, the swastika. So you would see Larry Fay taxi cabs riding around Manhattan festooned with large swastikas back then. And it, it also was used as a, a decoration in yeah, the floors of, yeah. of, of houses, brownstones in New York. Yeah, I think the state you can you can see that the state edu- the former state education building in New York uh, or in Albany across from the state capitol has a a, a row of uh, of swastikas uh, on on the frieze, um, and also his his uh, speakeasies would have them. He was rubbed out uh, as prohibition was sort of ending, and and um, he he announced a pay cut to his employees. And the doorman uh, was so ticked off, he just shot him dead. We have, and he had, I think he had like 50 cents in his pocket at that point. So again, not, not ending, uh, not ending well. We have about a minute and a half left. Is there anything you want to add before we uh, end this conversation? Well, (laughs) I guess I want to say go to uh, Amazon or go online or Barnes and Noble and uh, well is there and, a legacy uh, of all of this can, today or? A, well is there a legacy well the legacy is um, with Arnold Rothstein it is it is the uh, um, drug trade the international drug trade um, and it's also sort of a, a cultural legacy mm-hmm. of of remembering what the uh, 1920s was uh, like. Um, and some but, classic uh, movies that we still yeah, love. The classic movies, the TV shows. Uh, back back when I was growing up, and not quite grown up, I mean, there was certainly a huge wave of of nostalgia for the twenties and this era, uh, most noticeably by that Robert Stack series, The Untouchables. But there were there was another series called the Nineteen Twenties, and a whole bunch of biopics. Uh, some good, some bad of of all these characters. And I have to leave it there, unfortunately. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. David Pietrusha, P-I-E-T-R-U-S-Z-A. His book, Gangsterland, A Tour Through the Dark Heart of Jazz Age New York City, is published by Diversion Books. There are many other books from him as well that you might want to check out. Thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you. 
And that does bring us to the end of our show. If you're just discovering this program and would like to hear more of our one-hour deep dive interviews, you can access past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. Podcasts are available on iTunes, Apple, and everywhere else you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to write to me, my email address is leonardlopate at wbai.org. Before I sign off today, I need to ask you to support BAI to keep the station coming to you during these tough times. We're asking all of our listeners who have the means to do so to make a contribution at whatever level they're comfortable with. It's tax deductible. Um, call 212-209-2950 or go online to give to wbai.org right now. That's 212-209-2950 or give and the number 2 wbai.org because we need to help to keep bringing you this unique in-depth content, information you usually don't get anywhere else. And as I mentioned earlier, anyone who makes a contribution of $50 or more in the name of Leonard Lopate at Large right now can receive a copy of the book we've been discussing, Gangsterland, by David Pietrusha. So why not make that call right now? 212-209-2950 or go online to give to WBAI.org. And you might also consider becoming a sustaining member for $5, 10 15 $20, $100 a month or more, whatever's comfortable for you to become what we call a BAI buddy. And we'll say thank you to anyone who signs up to become a BAI buddy for $10 a month or more with a BAI tote bag. But either way, I hope you'll call right now because unlike other stations, BAI relies 100% on listener donations. Uh, It allows us to be completely free speech radio. So if we are a part of your daily routine, why not keep this going for someone else who might also want to hear it? Uh, But don't forget to make that tax-deductible contribution in the name of Leonard Lopate at large. And from all of us at the station, thank you very much. And we hope that uh, you'll tune in tomorrow when our show, when when our listeners will be the guests of our show because we're having another call-in Friday. Uh, So I hope you can join us again for that.